I feel that I've had a, a wonderful life. I've had a blessed life. I think I have been able to do wonderful things that have impacted people's lives. And I'm blessed by all those who pray for me and support me. I've, I'm the luckiest guy you can imagine. Politicians on the campaign trail will often promise voters they'll fight for them when they get to the state house or to Capitol Hill. But what happens when a politician finds they're fighting not for constituents, but for their very lives, and the foe could easily kill them? I'm Kathy Worser, and this is Living With, a story series from the End in Mind Project. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the Honorable Norm Coleman, the United States Senator from the great state of Minnesota. Norm Coleman has had a very successful career in politics, although even he'd admit at times it's been a roller coaster ride. He began his political rise in 1994, becoming mayor of St. Paul, Minnesota. This is from a Minnesota Public Radio News story from that time. I got elected mayor by, by speaking to the issues that were of concern to the people of St. Paul, talking about In crime. 1998, Coleman made an unsuccessful run for Minnesota governor. In 2002, the Republican mayor set his sights on the U.S. Senate seat held by Democratic incumbent Paul Wellstone. This is from Twin Cities Public Television's Almanac program. With his city skyline as a backdrop, on Monday, Norm Coleman announced he wanted to be Minnesota's next U.S. senator. To the people of Minnesota, I say that there is a choice. We can have a voice in the wilderness, or we can have a voice at the table. That campaign had Coleman and Wellstone neck and neck in most polls. And just as the campaign was drawing to a close on October 25th, Senator Wellstone and others died in a plane crash. This is, a, uh, this is a, a, a terrible day for Minnesota. Paul Wells and I were political opponents, and that was it. That was it. I, uh, I had the greatest respect for his passion. He was a fighter. Former Vice President Walter Mondale replaced Wellstone in that Senate race. Coleman won. Then in 2008, Senator Coleman ran for re-election, but lost to Democratic challenger Al Franken by just 312 votes after a lengthy recount that wound up in the courts. This is Coleman's concession announcement, as recorded by the Associated Press. Uh, I just uh, had a conversation with Al Franken congratulating him on, on his victory. And uh, I told him it's the uh, best job that he'll ever had representing the people of the state of Minnesota. After that 2008 defeat, Coleman became a Washington, D.C.-based lobbyist. Now, I'm not sure, after all the years I've spent covering Minnesota politics, how many times I've interviewed Norm Coleman. How are you, Senator? So, so Kathy, that is a complicated question. But the most recent conversation this summer for Minnesota Public Radio was far different from all the rest. Okay, I'm rolling tape, so here we go. When people say, people say, how are you? I mean, typically we say, how are you? How are you doing? The reality is for for some of us, like my situation, that's actually a very serious question. That's a a complicated question. Life is good. And and I just have a couple of challenges I got to deal with right now. The challenge is cancer. Cancer that first showed up in Coleman's tonsils and throat five years ago. 
initially when I had cancer, I had a sore patch like in the back of my throat that I wish I would have dealt with six months earlier. I think I waited six, eight months. And then I finally went to my doc and she looked at it and said, well, it could be an infection, uh, come back in two weeks. Of course, I waited three weeks or four weeks. And then it was still there. So then I went to a specialist and they checked it out and it was cancer. And Coleman's doctor said to him, if he was ever going to get cancer, this was the cancer to get. The prognosis was good. I went through a wonderful program at the Mayo. It was surgery, take it out. I think I'll tell you about 39 lymph nodes. Minimal radiation and minimal chemotherapy. Uh, and the thought being that type of cancer, I had 90-something percent of it. It's very responsive to chemo radiation. 90-something percent doesn't come back. And it didn't for a while. Unfortunately, Senator Coleman wasn't so lucky. In 2018, the cancer came back in a different place. Last year, I think last fall, it came back, not in my neck, not in my throat, but actually in my lung. Then I went through a period of radiation and, well, first I had chemotherapy, five hours a day, every three weeks a session. I think I did four sessions. And at the end of the chemotherapy, the cancer in my lung was gone. It was wiped out. And, and the docs at Mayo, wonderful, they said, listen, we're going to do radiation five days a week. We're going to kill this. We're going to just going to kill it. And so I thought it was gone. And I went a couple of months ago, one of my regular screenings, and unfortunately they saw a little activity in my lung. Uh, it didn't go away. They then biopsied it and determined it was, in fact, cancer. And the treatment now is simply to cut out that lower left lobe, which, by the way, it's the same area they had the radiation. It's, uh, again, the odds of it coming back, everything has always been, you know, 90% not going to happen. 90, I've always been a top 10% guy, you know, <laughs> and, and unfortunately, it's not the top 10% I want to be in. At the time, Coleman said, quoting now, cancer has shaken my soul, but it has not broken my spirit. When it appeared in his lung, it was at an already serious stage, stage four, normally considered a death sentence. But with chemotherapy and radiation, it appeared for a while the cancer had been beaten back. You know, I still got arrows in the quiver, but I think what they're going to do next is uh, what they call immunotherapy. And that is where you get your own body to fight the cancer. And it's been amazingly effective, I think, though, in about 20% of, of instances. So the odds aren't with you in that. But you're kind of fighting a continuous battle is what it comes down to. And every time you think you got it crushed, it rears its ugly head again. In spite of the treatments, the cancer was not completely wiped out. So in July of 2019, Coleman and his doctors decided the next best course of action was surgically removing a quarter of his lung. The surgery was successful, and Coleman turned 70 in August of 2019. But as I found out with cancer and those of your listeners who have dealt with this, this pernicious beast uh, that you never really know. In fact, my doctors now are talking about doing immunotherapy, putting me on that as a precaution for it not coming back. And so that's a whole other kind of treatment. Because cancer is such a roller coaster, how are you keeping your balance? Uh, faith family, friends. Uh, it is a roller coaster. I, I, you know, very, very open about that. There's a lot of times that you're really shaken. But uh, a great sense of faith, uh, you know, a belief in the Almighty, and I've been watched over, and 
blessed in so many ways, uh, strong family, great friends, a lot of people praying for me. And I think those are the things that sustain you in this right roller coaster of emotions uh, with something that ultimately can kill you. It's killed a lot of others, but then a lot of others have survived. And, and so you just put it in God's hands and do you the best you can to uh, enjoy every day and, and every moment. Life-threatening illnesses, disease, clearly affects the patient, but can splash all over the family and friends, too. So how are they doing through all this? You know, so, Kathy, in, in many ways, sometimes it may sound strange, but it, it, I think maybe harder on the family. I mean, I'm, I'm the guy going through the treatment, you know, and all they can do is pray. My wife prays a lot. You know? <laughs> Kids pray a lot. It really is hard on the family. It's really hard. And I can see that. I understand that, which kind of gives me a responsibility to to be positive, to, to not let everybody sink. Because I think if I sink, everybody sinks. And so I, I think it's hard on those who are bystanders who all they can do is pray. And, and they're not getting the treatment and, and they're not getting the attention from the docs. They're, they're bystanders watching someone they love uh, having this life threatening, you know, situation, and there's not much they can do except love. And that is powerful, but trust me, I I worry about them in this process. It's, it's not easy on families of folks who are going through cancer and, and, and other conditions like that. You know, many of us go through life thinking that we're in control, right? <laughs> and there's a lot of power and a sense of being in control when you're a politician. And so I'm curious, how has cancer changed that for you? Uh, have you learned the lesson that really none of us are in complete control of our destiny? So, so I've been dealing with this for a long, you know, long time now, almost five years. I, I, well, I've learned that lesson a long time ago, Kathy. I just believe that, that, uh, you know, we plan, God laughs. <laughs> to underscore his comment, Senator Coleman then recounted a harrowing story from earlier in the summer of 2019. He has a lake home in northern Minnesota where he loves to fish. He was in a small fishing boat by himself in the middle of a thousand-acre lake. There may have been two boats on the lake at the time, and I didn't see any other boat until I'm just sitting on the bow of my boat. Uh, And by the way, I always sit in the back. It's a tiller engine. My fish finder that day, it was there was a wire that was loose. It didn't work, and so I went to my spot with my in the engine, you know, tiller engine. Got to where I was, and then I moved up front. I kind of built a raised bow with the trolling motor there, sitting on the front, which I never, very rarely do. And turned to my left, and I see a boat about 25 yards away, 30 yards away, with a guy and two kids, and I see him fixing a fishing line. For a second, it wasn't unusual. When I realized down, I look and see the boat's moving at me in, in pretty high speed. And I yell, hey, watch out. And I don't think A here because they got the engine of their boat. And now I realize this boat is going to hit me. And uh, I literally watched it hit my boat. It's kind of sailed over to the other side. As it hit, I dove off the bow into the water in the other direction. It cut the handle off the tiller, off my engine. Uh, it crushed the seat I would have sat in. Had I been in that portion of the boat, I would have died. There was no way to get out. There was no way to go. You can't go back over the engine. can't go behind the boat because they're coming at me and would have landed, pushed the boat right into me. I happened to be, for whatever reason, at that day, at that moment, up front with a life jacket on, which I can tell you I didn't always wear. I will always wear now because if I didn't have that on, I would have been dead because I had boots on. I had a jacket on. It was, I wasn't planning on swimming that day. I was planning on fishing. And I would start out early in the morning. It was cool. So... 
I've long ago learned, long, <laughs> that's a long answer to a short question, Kathy. I've long ago learned that I'm not in control as much as I like to control things and have controlled a lot of things in my life. I gave that up a long time ago. I, I do the best I can. I try to live each day. I wake up every morning and I thank God for at least three things, usually my wife and two kids. Uh, but that lesson is one that uh, it may have taken me 60-something years to learn, but trust me, I've learned it and I live it. Hey, you mentioned lessons. I want to ask about gifts. Many people who are living or have lived with incredibly serious health problems, almost each has told me that counterintuitively their disease has been a gift. Not not the physical aspects, but other gifts that present themselves, emotionally or spiritually. Yeah, I'll give you a story. So I'm at uh, LaGuardia Airport not too long ago, and I'm heading back to St. Paul, uh, Minneapolis. And there's a woman there with a little kid, probably about three years old, and I can tell the kid has cancer. Uh, kids bold, you know, obviously been on chemotherapy. In the past, Kathy, I would have probably said a little prayer, felt sorry for the child and the mom. I went up to her, the mom, how you doing? They were a Minnesota family actually being treated at Sloan Kettering and they were heading down to Mayo right afterwards to get radiation treatment. And so I spent about a half hour talking to her about where to stay and what the radiation is like and what the team, and hear the questions. And, and she gave me a, a big hug afterwards and thanked me. I mean, she knew who I was. She you know, didn't know what I'd been through. And I really thought God put me in that place at that time to have that conversation that I never would have had. I thought that was a gift. I had an impact. I mean, tears and I you know, I had an impact on another life in, in a deep way that I never would have had had I not gone through this myself and been where I was. And I could give you 20 of those stories, but we talked before about the appreciation of each day. I really do. I really honestly am much more grateful for what I have and the time I have and what I'm able to do than I was, you know, certainly when I was 20 and thought I was invincible, <laughs> I <thought> I was <laughs> in, invulnerable, and I was 30 even. Uh, but no, it's, uh, it changes. It's as if you have a different lens, a different filter on in terms of how you see things. And that lens, it isn't all bad. What's your recipe for living with cancer? What does a good day look like? I've been blessed. I've had very few side effects. You know, from the last heavy dose of chemo, I had the John Malkovich look. I mean, I was, you know, bald, and uh, folks said I could have been a Mossad agent, and all the sunglasses <laughs> I looked at, you know, very ominous, very tough looking. Uh, but other than that, relatively symptom-free, I worked right through. So when I was doing daily radiation, radiation five days a week at Mayo, remember, I, this may not know, I, I have a job that has me in D.C. still three, sometimes four days a week. I'm home four nights when Congress is in session. I, I run the government relations operation for a large international law firm, so I've been office in Minneapolis and office in D.C., and I'm, when Congress is in session, typically here. But I obviously had to be at home for five weeks because I was doing Mayo uh, every morning, and I'd have my radiation set for around anywhere between 8 and 8.30. And I'd have folks would drive me, which, by the way, is another blessing I could tell you about. Uh, but I'd get done with it. Radiation was like getting in a suntan booth. You know, 20 minutes, boom, boom, boom. And then I'd drive back to my office. And I worked every day. I didn't miss a day of work. It's the emotional and the mental piece of it that's the hardest. It's the fear. It's those moments of, of where faith is strong, but then it all of a sudden melts away and you got to kind of summon it again, but there's that period in between where it gets a little dark, uh, but then you summon it back, and you know, all of a sudden you're back in the game. Have you allowed yourself to ponder the end game? What are your fears for the future? I have pondered that. That's probably the biggest fear. The fear is it's fear of the unknown. It is 
Is my family going to be taken care of? Have, have I done enough to provide for them? What is their situation? How are they going to handle things? Uh, you know, all of a sudden, making my wife aware of a lot of financial things that she never worried about before. Here's where we have this account, and this is what this does. And, and so, yeah, you know, listen, any of us could go at any time, but certainly in my situation, you're much more cognizant of endgame. And so you think about that. Most of my thoughts are about is my, how's my family going to be? That, that's, that is, that's the essence of it. You're not really thinking about yourself. No, I listen. I, you know, as I say, a great sense of faith. Uh, I, <laughs> I feel that I've had a, a wonderful life. I've had a blessed life. I think I have been able to do wonderful things that have impacted people's lives. And I'm blessed by all those who pray for me and support me. I've, I'm the luckiest guy you can imagine. The fear, the concern is, have you done enough that your family going to be okay if you're not there to do things or take care of things or to uh, uh, resolve things? You mentioned, have I done enough? Steve Jobs once said, death is the greatest thing to ever happen to humanity because it is life's change agent. It is our time frame of what we have left to do in this world. So what do you really need to do, want to do? What's on the agenda, whatever time is available to you. That's interesting. Death, it's God's term limits. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a bucket list, Kathy, if that's kind of the question. I, I really don't have a bucket list. I, I have a live life every day, uh, work as hard as I can, continue to make a difference, and make sure that your family is provided for. And that's it. So I'm not a bucket list guy. I'm not saying, oh, if I only would have done this and that, I've... I've loved everything that I've ever done. I mean, it may sound strange. I was worked for 17 years in the Minnesota Attorney General's office. Uh, who would have thought I'd been there 17 years? When I first got hired there, I'd been there 17 years, was old and about to retire. But I went from there and I got to be mayor of St. Paul. Wow, that was the best job in the world. What could be a better job being mayor of St. Paul? I got to, you know, drop the puck opening night when the Wild play in Oaks got started, which, by the way, was 19 years ago this fall. Uh, and then I get elected United States Senate for a minute representing Minnesota. And the United States, what a, I mean, who would have thought a kid, you know, one of eight kids from Brooklyn, New York, that ends up being the United States Senator from Minnesota. And then my post-Senate career, I've continued, I believe, to, to make a difference. I'm national chairman of the Republican Jewish Coalition. I'm chairman of the Congressional Leadership Fund, American Action Network. I lead the government relations practice at an international law firm. In the last three months, I have been to... Uh, Shenzhen, China, Hong Kong, uh, Marrakesh, Rabat, Casablanca, Morocco, uh, Riyadh, Abu Dhabi, Dubai, Jerusalem, two occasions, as well as places throughout the U.S., uh, Tbilisi, Georgia. <laughs> so I'm living life, and, and, and uh, I just hope to keep living it uh, until the clock runs out. So it sounds like cancer is living with you, not the opposite. Yeah, no, yeah. It, yeah, it is. It is. And maybe that's my approach is it's why I went to work every day during radiation. Okay. Cause I don't want it to control me. Uh, that would be a shame if somehow I let it dominate me. I'm still dominating it, even though it may have played the last card. I hope my story inspires others with cancer to live a life. I hope my story inspires those who have that little thing on their skin or that patch in their throat to check it out because the earlier you check it out, the better your odds are of beating this beast. So I, I hope there's some good that comes out of this conversation. Well, Senator Coleman, I wish you the very best. Thank you so much. Kathy, it's been a pleasure. Good luck. Thanks. Thank you. That's former Minnesota U.S. Senator Norm Coleman. 
Here's some good news on the senator. After he had a quarter of his lung removed, he went back for a checkup the day before Thanksgiving 2019. And that scan was clean. As he said, it was a literal Thanksgiving for the Coleman family. We wish him well. I am so glad you've joined me for another Living With the End in Mind. Archival audio in this episode came from Minnesota Public Radio, Twin Cities Public Television, and the Associated Press. Thanks to our intrepid editor, Jenna Lee Park. For more information, go to endinmindproject.org. I'm Kathy Worzer. Thank you for listening.